Good morning. <laughs> um, first, uh, like always, when you step into a place of honor to present God's word, you want to give him honor. So I give God honor um, because it is him who's changed my life and, and pointed me in, tra- in a trajectory where the gospel itself not only just sustains me, but it leads me. One of the things that I've, I've, I've been able to, to witness in the several different ways that God has led me, firstly, I said I was running away from this pulpit. <laughs> and so it's like, I'll just serve you in whatever other capacity you want me to serve you. So I did that in collegiate ministry and I did that um, in discipleship. And God still allowed me now to work with the very pastors who I tried to avoid. <laughs> but God has a word. He has a word. Thank you, Pastor Chad, Chad, <laughs> and Cole. Um, like he said, it's always good to be home. Uh, New Orleans is a place where I just cut my teeth in ministry. Um, it's the first place I probably fumbled a sermon and the first place where I was ordained in in the church in mid-city. I was married in Baton Rouge, but New Orleans, I was a seminary student when I got married. So the first years of our marriage was spent here in New Orleans. And so it is a dear, dear place for me. Um, As Chad said, my role uh, with the International Mission Board is uh, African-American church mobilization strategist. Um, That just simply means that it is my duty to help to champion, to coach, and to bring churches alongside of the IMB to partner. Not that we're going to do it. Missionaries come from churches. Churches develop missionaries. Churches affirm your call in Jesus Christ. The IMB just is here to partner alongside you, to walk alongside you, to help you, to encourage you, to pray, to give, to go, and to sin, allowing you to understand the relational and the international missionary activities. The missionary task is what we call it. So that is my task. And of course, I can't go on without um, introducing my better whole. We often hear half. She is the full thing. She's whole. She is not half. She was much better than Jason. God has blessed me with a beautiful wife who supports me and, and continues to encourage me, even in my brokenness and sinfulness. Scripture confirms that God's heart is for the nations. We see it in Isaiah 56, verses 6 through 7. He says, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For the house of God shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Having served here in New Orleans, Louisiana, 
it doesn't take us very long to see the nations. I served at the University of New Orleans with one of my greatest uh, friends and encouragements, Kimberly Myers and Gary. And Kimberly opened up my eyes to the nations on the campus of the University of New Orleans, one of the most diverse schools here in Louisiana. We began to have ministry to internationals that allowed for me to be able to have an eye into the nations. And it pierced my heart, and I've never turned back. The nations are calling for all of us to understand that God himself wants to bring about their deliverance. How often are you thinking about the nations? How often are you thinking about the thousands of ethnic groups and peoples around your city and the world who have yet to hear the name Jesus? One of our vice presidents is here. I'm just looking at him right now. And if you guys ever met him, John, his name is John Brady. He is extremely passionate about the nation, so much so that one of the initiatives that you're going to hear about this week at the, International, uh, at the Southern Baptist Convention, if you're there, is his Project 3000. The idea that we have about 3,072 unreached, unengaged people groups and we're calling on all of these young people from ages 21 to, to 30 to answer the call to go to those places that have not heard Jesus Christ. They don't have any access to the gospel. The gospel has changed my life and yours. And the greatest problem in the world is not any of the issues that we deal with here at the Southern Baptist Convention, and we have many. The greatest problem in the world is lostness. The greatest problem in the world is that people don't have Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Therefore, they have no hope. Having no hope for a person who has all the hope, who has Jesus living and dwelling inside of him, we shouldn't necessarily be able to stand aside and find that okay. We must answer the call. Because the greatest solution to the greatest problem in the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of you who served in New Orleans in the serve tour this, this week, you've got to take the gospel that was given to you to a community that is hurting, that is dying. Think about that exponentially times the 8 billion people that exist in this world today that need to hear the gospel. Charles Spurgeon said this once, to, to rejoice in temporal conference is dangerous. To rejoice in self is foolish. To rejoice in sin is fatal, but to rejoice in God is heavenly. You see, God has given us all a task. He's called all of us, no matter a title, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So as we begin to ponder the things that we're going to discuss this week, I ask us to never forget our primary focus, 
and that's mission. May it never be said of our lives that the last argument we have in the service of our Lord and King are about issues that don't bring lasting solutions to addressing the greatest problem in the world. The gospel is the focal point of mission. This very gospel landed Paul in jail. The church can, can see Paul as a model, a model for what captured his life, which was missions and church planting. It is here we find in our text this morning from Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. And if you have it, you can turn and read with me. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It's the Bible I picked up. <laughs> if you have it, say amen. If you don't, say wait. And it reads, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may be present everywhere, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus. God, when we come to this time, may it be a singular focus to recharge, to learn about you, to focus on you, to worship you, to praise you, so that when we leave these doors, but never your presence, God, we are activated in a lost world. God, hide me behind your cross that they might not see Jason, but they would hear the words of Christ. My strength and my redeemer. Lord, it's for you I commit my life and this sermon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things that is really key when you read any of Paul's writings is that he's not necessarily saying something that he himself is not experienced three times over. You see, his zeal was, was, was because he was a persecutor of the church. And so on one end, when he was not a Christian, he was about persecuting Christians. And so when God kept, uh, got a hold of him, he became sold out so much so that he knew that this very message of the gospel that saved him must be given to those who don't have access to it. And so that's what we're seeing here in Colossae. He's, he's writing to this Gentile, these Gentile believers who are struggling with an identity. 
as believers? Do they acquiesce to what it means to be a Jewish Christian? Or do they take what they know of what the the message of the gospel has done in their lives and take that in all of its zeal and work it out in fear and trembling? He almost had a zeal for desperation to get the gospel out to this world. To know the sufferings of Christ, he would say in these verses, that he might relate to Christ. One of the interesting things about Paul, if if you ever study his missionary journeys, he traveled 1,400 miles on his first missionary journey. On his second, 2,800 miles. On his third, 2,700 miles. Over the course of his 35 years, it is estimated that he traveled over 13,000 miles, which is the equivalent of half around the world. And all this was before planes, trains, or automobiles. (laughs) He had a desperation to get the gospel to the nations. He had a desperation that others would know who God was. The gospel that Paul believed revealed this good news had to go out. It revealed that Jesus Christ is willing to die for. Which brings us to the first observation in this text. The gospel is good news, but not good advice. You see, good advice can be weighed. You say, I can have several friends, and several friends can be on different wavelengths of what's good and what's not. If I got a worldly friend, his good advice is going to be like, well, you know what? You don't always have to experience this, this godly character that you talk about. It's okay to cheat on your taxes. It's okay to, to not always tell the truth. Advice. But see, good news is a declaration of something that once you hear it, it changes the course of your life. You know, one of the things that, about biblical language is that they often used and took ordinary language of the day and they incorporated the Christ's relationship to ordinary language, which changed the way that we should think about it forever. Good news is just translated glad tidings. But these glad tidings in this good news of Jesus Christ means that forever your life will be changed. Forever your life will be different. This good news is about the announcement of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and how it brings salvation not only to you but to the entire world. And once we understand the significance of this story, it holds endless treasure to the knowledge and the wisdom that is to unlock in your heart, in your life, for the world that you're going to live in. It should change the direct trajectory of your life. So now it's no longer good advice of getting a good education that leads you to a good career that you should be taking as an opportunity to make more money and to live the good American dream. 
No, good news means that you take the education and you leverage it for the sake of the gospel. Good news means that you take the things that the world holds good and you flip it and make it godly things. You know, one of the things that I've often struggled with um, in professional Christianity is that sometimes it limits the fact that when you make disciples of those who don't hold titles, that they don't sometimes feel obligated to share their faith, to make disciples of all nations. You see, it is the job of those who are called into the ministry of Jesus Christ, this gospel ministry, to make sure that you who sit in the pews with no titles are equipped in such a way that you're going to reach more, way more people than we will. You see, we're in halls. We're in places where Christians are. Boy, that's boring sometimes. <laughs> you who sit in pews, who work in businesses, who live in, who are teaching, who are lawyers, who are doctors, you are among individuals who need the gospel. And from you, it has weight. The gospel is revealed as good news, but not good advice. Paul highlights his participation in suffering in Christ for the sake of the church. One of the things that I, uh, I, I've seen in the, the Twitter wars, what I like to call them, is that you hardly ever see a tweet, a tweet on Twitter that highlights suffering for Christ in the manner that Paul talks about it. Like, when's the last time you heard a tweet or read a tweet that says, I leverage all of what is within the things that are wrong in this world for the suffering of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that on this platform, people will just see me professing Christ as Lord and Savior in Jesus Christ. Instead, we have individuals that stand on platforms and say, I'm right, you're wrong. Well, guess what? I'll be wrong if you can hear the gospel. I'll be wrong on some cultural things so that you might be able to come and hear a word from Jesus Christ. Christianity, historically, has never been about popularity. Christianity, historically, and even today, causes persecution. It is very countercultural. If Christianity comes alongside culture and culture isn't convicted, it's, not longer, it's no longer Christianity. You cannot waver in your understanding of this good news of Jesus Christ because it will offend. So it's not when suffering comes, it's not if suffering comes, it's when suffering comes. So Paul is trying to allow us to be able to be prepared. It might not be imprisonment like Paul, but it'll definitely be a coworker who don't understand the silliness of you going to church every Sunday. Suffering. One of the things that is true is that for the sake of the cross, 
We are to see the gospel as sufficient in all of our security, but also our suffering. The gospel is sufficient. The Bible tells us to take up our cross. The cross is not an instrument of pleasure. The cross is an instrument of pain, of torment. So we are to be prepared for a life that isn't always about sunshines and rainbows. Paul says like this when we are honored to suffer for Christ. In 2 Corinthians 4, 17, he writes, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Our suffering can have redemptive purpose. And we should also see that God is asking for our obedience in making disciples of all nations. Jesus is now in paradise. But the suffering for this world to be Christians is not done. But we can count it all joy that wherever our Lord is, there we may be also. So we have a living hope, a ever-present hope. So it means that the gospel must be proclaimed by us spoken with words, preferably in a language that the person who's hearing can understand. A couple of weeks ago, um, I was able to, to help uh, some pastors from South Carolina um, do a, what we call a discovery trip. Um, but it wasn't much discovery about this trip because we worked the whole time. <laughs> but in several of the different places that the pastors were able to visit, there is different languages that a translator had to be able to, to stand next to them and speak in order that the people that they evangelized to could understand. Myself and another colleague were in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. We prepared a evangelism training and discipleship training in the first half of the day. And in the second half of the day, we went out. We taught these, these different church members who were trying to rely on us, who didn't know the language, <laughs> to present the gospel to their neighbors. We taught them three circles. We taught them two kingdoms and how to prepare their personal testimony in less than five minutes. One of the things that ended up happening as we went out is that we didn't just go up to the neighbors, say, hi, neighbors, can we just pray for you? Because if we just prayed for them, then of course they would accept it. You know, in African culture, it's a very spiritual culture. So they'll, they'll accept a prayer. But no, we needed dialogue. We needed to be able to speak these tools that we learned of the gospel to people who were lost in the neighborhood, preferably in the language they understood. In Tanzania, it's Swahili. In Luanda, it's Portuguese. Zambian, they, get, they had it easy because they could speak English. <laughs> but all the while, in the speaking, in this, this word of the gospel, 
were telling them about how Jesus Christ himself had died for their very existence. How those who were in Dar Salaam who were previously Muslim, God cared for them and they didn't have to work for their salvation. And of course, anytime we are obedient, it doesn't always happen, but sometimes God allows us to get a glimpse of his power and his majesty because he saves, we don't. And we got to see about five Muslim women come to faith in Jesus Christ. Of our old team, about 29 came to faith. And I am not like most who thinks that oh, they'll just do a prayer and it's okay. I'm just like, okay, can you ask them this too? Uh, can you ask them this too? Because I, I don't I think that was too fast. Can you ask them this too? We want to make sure they understand what we're saying. Say this too. You have to use words. You have to speak, but more importantly, it's in God's power, not yours. The world is not lacking in bad news. There's bad news everywhere. But you, as a Christian, who have the message of Jesus Christ living inside of you, the very Jesus, indwelling Savior, you can proclaim that your life has been changed. That the trajectory and focus of your life is different because Jesus entered into your life. That's good news. One of the reasons that many may be silent, I think, in the church of sharing their faith and who they are in Jesus Christ it's because they have not realized how good the gospel has been in restoring all of humanity. You see, some of us, not all of us, are raised in a church environment. And we've always experienced the blessings of God because God has blessed our families. And he's allowed us to be able to be in places where we have access to the gospel. Well, we have Bibles in abundance in our house. I can't even tell you how many we have. But what if you spoke a language and there's no translation to God's word in your language? There's no church building in the area that you live in. There's no hope. There's an animist, animalistic faith. Animist Secular, you have not been blessed so that you could just stay here in these pews. You have been blessed so that you are the force that God's going to use to reach the nations. I know there's some young people in here today that can sign up for this Project 3000 that we're going to talk about at SBC. God has blessed you so that you could be a blessing to others. We have his indwelling presence inside of us. His salvation has changed our lives and transformed our lives and given us an assurance and a peace that we can't understand, fathom, or explain. This great mystery revealed in the gospel, as we see in Colossians, is revealed to us in a way that we ourselves, for the rest of our lives in the Christian journey, are fathoming more 
and more and more. And here's the one way that you can experience the fullness of God in understanding the mystery that is being revealed, sharing your faith. There's only one wrong way to share the gospel. I got a lot of people in here that know the answer to that, and that's not to do it at all. I can't tell you in the college ministry realm, in the church realm, how I fumbled the ball on knowledge of of what I'm supposed to say, but it didn't quite come out that way. But God is gracious and he's kind. And if you stay to to the book and the word, stay connected to it, then he is going to change lives. He is going to bring about the increase. In fact, oftentimes, the only proof of the changing of the gospel that some people have is if it changed your life. If it changed your life, it surely can change them. I don't know all about what's happening with some of you guys in the pews today. I know some of you, though. Your lives are pretty raggedy before God changed it. And you know there's some people that can witness that if God could change him or her, well, man, I'm sure he could change me. Luke 2 and 10 reads this way, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. There's a very popular quote that has been attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. It says this, preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words. Don't amen that. (laughs) St. Francis ain't say that. In fact, St. Francis was a very pious man. And of his followers, they said this of him, that he was one who was all about preparation. He was one who was all about studying and scouring after God's word. So he is more likely to have said this. The preacher must first draw from secret prayers, being in the word, what he will later pour out in holy sermons. And he must first first grow hot within before he speaks words that are of themselves cold. The Holy Spirit inside of the words of God is what changes people. It's what changes lives. And it's this very proclamation that every one of us in this room is responsible for taking to the nations. What we proclaim is not merely empty words or just even the activity of mission and ministry, in in serving the humanity. What we take when we serve humanity is this message of the gospel. It's our story. It's how God changed us. And we never graduate from being sinners saved by God's grace. I'm often reminded of my sin. (laughs) Often reminded, even in the good times, well, that's pride, sorry, God. Do you find it difficult to talk about the good news of the gospel? 
Have you been changed by the gospel or have you been shaped by church culture? That's rhetorical. You don't have to answer that. Your friends might not want you to answer that. Thirdly, it is the gospel that is our fuel for missions. Thank God that God does not say the fuel that you're going to need is the education that you have gotten from the schools that you went to. Now, look, I have been blessed by the education that I received at the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. In fact, before I came to seminary, I didn't even know what a seminary was. So they did a lot. (laughs) Bible school, who goes to Bible school? They did a lot. I mean, (laughs) obviously they did a good job. I work for an SBC entity now. (laughs) This gospel is the fuel for missions. It is this message of the gospel that changes the lives of us and our communities and the people that we love that is amplified for all of us. 29 says this, verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul never puts any confidence that he has to present the gospel to the world in his own flesh. If you read any of Paul, you'll see that he had plenty of confidence, educated in the best schools as a Jew, a persecutor of the church with great zeal. He had confidence. But now that he has come into contact with the God of the universe, he puts no confidence in the flesh. In fact, it is this motivation of Paul that allows him to be so sold out for the gospel. that man, if God could save me, I've got to go to these other places so that he can save others. He fully acknowledges that his ministry is not by his own strength, but by the power of God working within him. One of my worries, one of the things that I, I fear of myself and some of my, my brothers and sisters who are in ministry is that we get too good for the job. Man, we're so eloquent. We're, man, we, we're preaching and I, you know, I, confession. I grew up as a Methodist. I don't have hoop. So I got some brothers and sisters that can hoop and, and man, they make me jealous. However, man, I fear for them that if they're so good and they get the amens and they get the hallelujahs from the crowd, is that their reward? You see, The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God and salvation that works inside of us. And that is the fuel for missions. And that is always going to be what sustains us in mission and sustains us in ministry and sustains our lives. God, who works in you, is the hope of glory. Not you working for God. That is not the hope of glory. God that works in you is the hope of glory. Therefore, 
It says in Matthew 28, at the end, and lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. You needed that seal. Amen. You needed that seal. I am with you always. So even when you fumble the ball, even when sometimes your sin catches up with you and you have to repent, and lo, I am with you even until the ends of the age. Paul's suffering amplified his ministry. He talked about having a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it, uh, it is. Some biblical scholars, who are, some people in this room who are way more studied than me can give you a little bit of some of the, the, the what that might have been. But every one of us knows that we got a sin that's sometimes a little bit hard to beat. That's your thorn. Know that this is how God empowers you. That he is your strength. He is your comfort. And you should never turn away from him. Let your sufferings amplify God's ministry in your life. And may it humble you. Man, we got too many prideful preachers. May it humble you. May you seek the last seat. I'm back row Baptist. I'm not talking about the ones that like you just go to the back because that's like your custom. <laughs> but what I'm, I'm referencing is this. May it be that you not try to have the first class seat when you fly. May it be that you serve others. May it be that you don't seek the attention. May it be that God himself is who elevates you. Because let me tell you, when God does it, you don't have to worry. When God does it, you don't have to worry. Because what is, there's what we call this thing called imposter syndrome. <laughs> well, we know we hadn't worked for this job, but we got it. But when God elevates you and he leads you in this way that he continues to empower you and you know it's God then it is him that we are to glorify. It is him that we are to let amplify our ministry. So 2 Corinthians 11, 23 and 28 says this about Paul and his amplified ministry because of his suffering. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Because if you know your reading of the Bible, Jesus Christ received more. He would not receive the lashes that Jesus Christ received. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Worn frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from frost brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul suffered. 
But Paul also said, this light and momentary affliction is not worth even considering for the sake of the reward that Christ Jesus himself is going to bestow upon me. What is your motivation for presenting Jesus Christ to a lost and a dying world? What's your motivation? I'm not saying that God is going to bless you with the life of martyrdom. But I am saying that there's going to be a cost. So what's your motivation? There is a cost. As I prepare to take my seat, the gospel message contained in Colossians is a profound revelation of God's plan for redemption and transformation. You see, it reveals that the gospel is good news, not just good advice. It reveals that we have to proclaim it with words that the people can understand. And it's the gospel, it's the good news, it's our motivation for missions, it's our fuel for missions. And the, the good thing about this is all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God has given us a win-win situation. Paul says it like this, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He was talking about himself, but he was also given an anecdotal analogy of the life of the Christian. To truly plow in the field of Jesus is Christ. Man, seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ, there's no greater feeling. There's no greater feeling. But I know one greater reality, and that's to be in paradise with Jesus Christ. That's to be in paradise with God himself, our Lord and Savior. God has perfectly knitted us together in his love. And as a result of the greatest problem of all of humanity, spiritual lostness, he has given the church the greatest solution to the greatest problem. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Spiritual lostness will one day be eradicated. We see it in Revelation 7 and 9 and 10. That one day, every tongue, tribe, people, and nation will gather around the, uh, the throne. And they will worship God. And they will know him together. That is our reality, our future reality. This message is one Sadly, that is to be accepted or rejected. That's the thing about good news. Is it good to you yet? You must make a choice. I want to end. I read this book called The Gospel many years ago. I used it for college students uh, many years ago. And there's this one prayer that I've like held on to that J.D. Greer does. Um, that is, it's a motivator. 
And it, it, it just reads this way. In Christ, there's nothing I can do that can make you love me more. There's nothing I have done that makes you love me less. Your presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. As you have been to me, so I will be to others. As I pray, I'll measure your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, you've given us a powerful tool in the gospel. The very thing that has changed our lives. The one message that every Christian, every true Christian can guarantee that they have. Jesus himself, he lived, he died, and he resurrected for our sake, for our sin, that we might be counted as righteous. It is his righteousness that has been given to us that when the Father sees us, he sees his righteous Son, Jesus Christ. May we never have so much pride and arrogance to think that we have graduated from the gospel. And may we use this gospel as the very message that calls us into missions, that calls us into ministry, and that allows us even that if we're not called the title to make disciples of all nations. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.